Welcome to the Vulva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. Hi, we're going to talk to Dr. Mary Lou Baxter, who is a dermatologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and the co-director of the Gynecology Dermatology Clinic at QE2 Hospital. Hi, Dr. Baxter. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm great. Today, we're going to talk about a random group of itchy conditions. So the first one I wanted to ask you about was psoriasis on the vulva. How does that present? Well, as you quite rightly said in the title, psoriasis classically in the vulva presents with itch. So that's the main symptom that a patient will complain of. And when we examine the patient, we see some pretty characteristic features that lead us to that diagnosis. So first of all, this usually involves the hair-bearing skin of the vulva, not the mucosa, and it also often extends onto the mons. And it's well-demarcated, red, sometimes scaly plaques. And they're quite symmetric. And if you look carefully, you can see evidence of psoriasis in the inguinal folds, which can be red fissured patches, and also very commonly in the gluteal fold. And that's a giveaway. If they have these red fissured patches in the gluteal fold, then it most likely is psoriasis. Do you see people with vulvar psoriasis that don't have it anywhere else? You can, although in the vast majority of cases, you can find evidence of psoriasis elsewhere on the skin. But certainly we do see some patients who only have anal genital psoriasis. Do you think vulvar psoriasis is very common? I think it's very common. I mean, the, the incidence of psoriasis in the general population is around 3 to 4%. And I would say that the majority of people with psoriasis will have genital involvement. They often don't report it because they don't recognize it as being part of this, the condition or they're embarrassed to, t- to talk about it to their general physician, but certainly it's very common. And how do you diagnose and treat it? The diagnosis is primarily clinical. So as I said, you know, the classic features that I described, and in addition, looking on the rest of the skin to see evidence of psoriasis elsewhere. So important to check the scalp, the nails, as well as the classic areas like the extensor surfaces of the extremities. Some people will have what's called inverse psoriasis, which is not, which is more in skin folds, so axillae, under the breasts, in the inguinal folds, sort of red patches that don't look like the classic red scaly plaques of psoriasis elsewhere. So that's kind of it. It really is a clinical diagnosis. You can biopsy if you uh, are really not sure of the diagnosis, but most times a biopsy is not necessary. And then how is it usually treated? The first line of treatment is mid-potency topical steroid, so something like betamethasone valerate 0.1% ointment applied twice daily until the area seems to have cleared up. And oftentimes you can get the area to go into remission, and then it would be used on a PRN basis. If someone has more chronic plaques that never clear, then I would try to taper them down to a lower-potency topical steroid for maintenance use. Alternatively, if one wants to come right off of topical steroids for maintenance, then you can look at vitamin D analogs, which are basically calcipatriol and calcitriol, and also calcineurin inhibitors like tacrolimus ointment. If a person has really widespread psoriasis and systemic therapy is indicated for their psoriasis, then their vulvar psoriasis will respond to that. So methotrexate or one of the biologics or a retinoid. But we wouldn't necessarily use a systemic agent for only anal genital involvement. It's usually not necessary. We often use ultraviolet light therapy for body psoriasis, but it's not used for genital psoriasis. Is that just because it's not studied in the area? 
it's a little awkward sort of mechanically to do because most of the ultraviolet light is delivered in a booth that has bands of light that the person stands in front of. So it's very difficult to expose the genital area in that situation. The other thing is that we do know that there were some incidences of squamous cell carcinoma in the male genitalia who were getting ultraviolet light therapy for their psoriasis and not protecting their genitalia. So it appears that it increases the risk of squamous cell carcinoma. So we tend to avoid it in the genital area. That's really interesting. So how does vulvar eczema present? The word eczema is often used interchangeably with dermatitis. And so dermatitis of the vulva tends to present again with itch, typically. And as compared to psoriasis, it usually is sort of less well-defined areas. So it's a red area that kind of extends out with no clear border. And it usually does, again, involve the hair-bearing skin, but you can get a little bit of involvement in the mucosal surface, depending on the type of dermatitis. And it tends not to be quite as symmetrical. You don't tend to get the gluteal fold involvement or the inguinal fold involvement. It's usually localized to the genital area. And kind of a diagnosis of exclusion in a lot of cases, you have to make sure that you're ruling out any other condition. So it's mostly, again, a clinical diagnosis. Absolutely. Rarely do you need to biopsy this. It's generally a clinical diagnosis. And sometimes, you know, individuals will give a history of having sort of a sensitive skin elsewhere in their body. Maybe they're atopic and and have a history of atopic dermatitis elsewhere so that this may be a manifestation of their atopic dermatitis in the vulva. People who have seborrheic dermatitis on their face, ears, chest can also have genital seborrheic dermatitis. But the commonest dermatitis I think that we see in the vulva is uh, is contact dermatitis. And that generally presents, again, in the way I described, and can be very persistent and very difficult to tease apart the causes of contact dermatitis. Are there any common irritants? Contact dermatitis is divided into two categories. You have irritant contact dermatitis, which is the commonest. And irritant simply means that it's more of a mechanically induced or physical type of trigger rather than an actual true allergy. And so the commonest irritants for the vulva would be moisture. So moisture such as in sweat from urinary incontinence, a really common cause, or even fecal incontinence. You can also get irritant dermatitis from just overzealous cleansing. So people that just scrub, 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 or use really strong cleansers that are not necessarily allergens, but certainly irritants to the vulva. Less common is allergic contact dermatitis. And allergic contact dermatitis is a true allergy. It's a type 4 hypersensitivity in most cases. And the commonest allergens that cause contact dermatitis would be preservatives. So for example, in baby wipes, in some menstrual pads, the preservative can be the allergen. Local anesthetics, so benzocaine is a common allergen and it's found in a lot of over-the-counter anti-itch preparations. Topical antibiotics, particularly neosporin and bacitracin-containing antibiotics can cause allergic contact dermatitis. You can react to the topical corticosteroid molecule that's in a particular product that you've prescribed. Hemorrhoid creams, again, sometimes because of the steroid and or the analgesic. Rubber and latex, so in condoms, and also spermicides. The commonest, I'd say the top sort of allergens are the preservatives and maybe fragrances found in topical preparations. So when do you use patch testing and what is that? So patch testing is a diagnostic tool that's used for allergic contact dermatitis. So, and what it is, is a panel of standard concentrations of the commonest 
cutaneous allergens is applied directly to the skin, usually using the back, because we often test for about 80 substances. So these are little discs that are impregnated with individual chemicals. And it picks up the commonest allergens. So we go well beyond the things I mentioned. We go into, you know, they go into metals and they go into fragrances and all kinds of other contactants. But it reproduces the situation of contact sensitivity. So there's no scratches involved as in sort of classic allergy testing. This is just chemicals applied directly to the skin. And the, the patches are taped with a hypoallergenic tape on the back and kept in place for 48 hours. And then the individual comes back, they have the patches removed and a first reading is done. And then without reapplying the patches, they return at 96 hours for a final reading because some substances will have a delayed onset of, of their reaction. And then any allergens to which the patient has reacted or identified, they're generally provided then with um, information regarding what the sources of those allergens could be. So we don't necessarily test for product, but more ingredients that would be in products. And then they're obviously cautioned to avoid those and given advice about alternatives. This is done in some private dermatology offices, and it's also done in a lot of the hospital-based clinics, particularly teaching clinics will have a patch testing clinic. So one could access that test by contacting someone in their community who has the facility to, to carry out patch testing. How, which patients do you send for patch testing? Like how often do you really need it? I don't use it that often. As I mentioned in the beginning, when you look at contact dermatitis, the vast majority of contact dermatitis is irritant from things like moisture and cleansing and incontinence. We don't do allergy patch testing to that because it won't tell us anything. But if you have a patient in who, who will give a very clear history of applying a particular product and getting worse, the classic situation is an itchy patient who goes and buys an over-the-counter benzocaine-containing cream and applies this and they get immediate relief, but then the condition gets worse and then they get immediate relief and it gets worse and they just keep using more and more of it. And when you see them, they have edema, they have extensive erythema, but the history is that of a product making the condition worse. And that's generally when we go for patch testing. You mentioned that contact dermatitis is by far the most common thing you see. How do you usually treat that? With contact dermatitis, generally, again, you would start with a medium potency topical corticosteroid, except for very extreme cases, as I described with the benzocaine allergy, where you can sometimes get a lot of edema and erythema and you know erosions. Those ones you might put on some prednisone, but the vast majority of people aren't that severe. So we would use a medium potency topical steroid ointment, always choosing ointments rather than creams when we're treating the vulva. And we would have them apply that twice a day until the eruption clears. And then, of course, identifying what is causing the contact dermatitis and avoiding that. So reviewing their vulvar skin care is really important and giving them a like a paper handout that has tips for vulvar skin care so that someone goes through that and makes sure that they're not, for example, using baby wipes or wearing panty liners all the time or you know, using a scented fabric softener sheet or whatever products that they get over the counter and sort of eliminating all of those potential agents. And we treat them until they're they're clear. I used a lot of oral antihistamines for itch. So something like cetirizine, 20 milligrams at bedtime is really useful because if someone's itchy, regardless of whether you're treating their condition, the itch is going to be there for longer. And so, because sometimes these feedback cycles are set up. And oftentimes this, this develops into something called lichen simplex chronicus, which is basically just a chronic inflammation that thickens and becomes extremely itchy and then it becomes a vicious cycle. So you have to treat the itch as well as the dermatitis. So we use a lot of oral antihistamines in our clinic. Um, it's something that dermatologists use a lot for itch. We also 
we make sure that when we're treating these individuals that we are not overlooking another process because sometimes a contact dermatitis will be superimposed on another primary skin disorder. So it's important to see the person back because once their contact dermatitis has settled down, then you may be able to actually see evidence of their lichen sclerosis or their you know, psoriasis or whatever else sort of provoked the problem in the first place for which they then started using whatever product gave them contact dermatitis. So keeping in mind that there can often be two conditions going on at the same time in the vulva and that you need to see people in follow-up to make sure that you've you know, not got something else going on. And then it's kind of just giving them avoidance advice and keeping them on a very simple routine in terms of vulvar skincare. And using the topical steroid basically as needed once the condition has settled down. And hopefully their need for it will be less and less. And eventually they probably won't need it at all. Probably except for some of those sensitive skin people that randomly react to things. Yeah. And I mean, again, when they talk about irritant dermatitis and people who have you know, urinary incontinence. I mean, obviously, if it's quite significant, referring them to a urogynecologist or urologist to get some advice about managing the incontinence, but also giving us giving them advice on the use of incontinence pads rather than panty liners, which the incontinence pads or the incontinence underwear is certainly much more absorptive and therefore there's less moisture against the skin. So giving them advice for long-term management if there's an ongoing trigger that can't necessarily be fixed. And as you said, a person who has who is a topic or just has a generally, they'll say, I have sensitive skin, I react to everything, they may find that this is a chronic or recurrent problem. And we tell them that up front. And so they have to have something that's safe to use intermittently. You know, if they're, if they're doing well, after we settle them down with their medium potency steroid, we may take them down a notch to a lower potency steroid for maintenance use PRN, not daily, just PRN. When it flares up, use this, settle it down, take your antihistamines if you need them, review what you're doing, make sure that you're not using anything that might be aggravating the situation and giving them the door to open to call back if things aren't going well. Very practical advice. Do you have any last take-home points for listeners? For sure. So when you're talking about inflammatory itchy conditions like psoriasis and dermatitis, I think spending a little time on the history is really important because, um, for example, family history of psoriasis might help to lead you a little more towards a diagnosis of psoriasis. Personal history of atopic dermatitis or other skin conditions might help as well. And also reviewing what products the patient's applying. I can't emphasize that enough because, as you know, Amanda, people use incredible things on their vulvas. It's quite enlightening to hear the sorts of products that people use to try to fix themselves. So that's important to spend a little bit of time on that, either you or your nurse or assistant. I always say if you don't ask them, they don't tell you. No. And, and, you know, it'll happen where the resident will go in and do a history and then I'll go in and then the nurse will go in afterwards to review the vulvar skincare and they still pick up things that, you know, weren't identified or weren't admitted to, I guess. And you sort of break them down and they finally say, yes, I use Lysol to clean my vulva, you know, and you go, oh my goodness. Okay. That's the problem. Anyway, so the history is really important in, in spending some time. These patients take a lot of time, but hopefully the time you spend at their initial visit will save you a lot of time in the long run. The physical examination, remembering that there may be more than one thing going on. And besides the fact that you can have a dermatitis-like contact or lichen simplex chronicus overlying another primary disorder like lichen sclerosis or psoriasis, the other thing I didn't mention, which I think is we're paying increasing attention to in the postmenopausal woman is looking at the status of their vulva in terms of estrogen and often replacing estrogen locally with a cream and or a vaginal estrogen 
does help to complement whatever other treatment you're using for their dermatitis or psoriasis so that their tissue is, in, is healthier and better able to respond to your treatment. Look for signs of secondary infection. All these secondary factors that may be complicating your treatment. And then that whole group, don't go to clobetazole or high-potency steroids. Use medium-potency steroids, taper down to lower-potency steroids for maintenance, or even transition them to a non-steroid agent such as tacrolimus. Don't forget antihistamines. I think it's, it's critical. It makes a really big difference to a lot of people who are itchy. And finally, have a handout that goes over good vulvar skin care, what to use, what not to use, and have someone go through it in great detail and give them a handout to take home. That's great. Thank you so much for talking to us about all these things today. Well, thank you for asking me. That's Dr. Mary Lou Baxter, a dermatologist and co-director of the Gynecology Dermatology Clinic at the QE2 Hospital in Halifax. Mm-hmm.